Welcome back to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan. In each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. I'm excited to share this story with you, so let's dive in. All right, welcome back to Between the Before and After. I'm excited because uh, today I get to talk to a fellow Canadian, not just a fellow Canadian, but uh, someone who lives in the prairies just one province over. For for those of our Canadian listeners uh, from all the way in Saskatchewan, I'm chatting with Crystal Adams today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Man. Yeah. You've, you've got a crazy story. Um, you know, uh, we, we were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, someone else that, that I also know in the, in the fitness industry that I, I worked with uh, previously and, and shared her story, uh, Steph O'Leary. And she said, Hey, you have to talk to Crystal because, um, yeah, she had, she has a heck of a story. So we're, we're going to, we're going to explore that story today. But, uh, before we dive into that, I always like to let people know kind of where you're at currently and what you're doing. And then we're going to explore your story and figure out how you got here. Okay. Well, my name's Crystal Adams. I'm 40 years old and I have three kids. Um, I am a personal trainer and nutritionalist, but I'm not really practicing that at the moment. Um, I have future plans for that later, but mm. I own a concrete landscaping company here in Regina, Saskatchewan with my husband. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, how much concrete do you pour in the winter? Almost none. <laughs> <laughs> it's very slow for us, but we, we tend to make it work. So. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So for, for those who don't know in the, in the prairies, we get long winters here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it can, it can last for, uh, up, up to eight months, I would say is probably a reasonable, reasonable oh. estimation. So, um, yeah, depending on what you're doing. And and so maybe in the wintertime, uh, there's, there's opportunity for snow plowing and, and things like that instead of, uh, instead of landscaping. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, um, Going, kind of going back a few years here. In fact, quite, we'll go back a few. I'm, I'm 40 as well. So we're, we're both uh, just on the cusp of the uh, what, fourth decade of life, or I guess fifth decade, really. Yeah. Um, cr- crazy to think about because it's kind of a midpoint, a great time to to reflect on things. Um, but you you had a pretty rocky childhood growing up. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I'll, I'll let you just, I'll let, instead of asking a question, I'll let you just kind of describe a little bit of it here because um, it sounds like you... you spent some time in foster homes and whatnot. So, um, yeah. What, what was that childhood like? Well, I came from a family that, um, you know, we, we had money and, um, lived mid middle class, I guess. And I had clothes and everything like that. Everything would appear to be great and everything. Um, but for some reason, I just, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I went to high school and I got bullied so badly and um my family wasn't really the type that you could reach out to and talk to so I kind of like held it all inside and tried to deal Mm. with it all myself and I just became so depressed and angry and I like just hated myself so I started um self-harming all the time just punishing myself I was like I was mad at my personality I didn't like what I looked like like I just was Mm. not person at all and then being bullied on top of it didn't really help anything either so I just spiraled into just yeah you know being depressed and sad and just yeah so you you um uh so you mean you you had a relationship with your parents you know know your parents um you go to high school um what you know and this is pre-internet too which is uh Unless you had some some sort of uh, super technology, um, oh, just writing writing notes, <laughs> right? So th- this is like the old old fashioned building, I guess, that you had to be in person for for this yeah. to to take place. Um, was it like a transition to a new school that like you're, you're like a new person here, and you know they decided that you were going to be a target, or it totally was in elementary school. Like I was always pretty popular, and I was always the girl that the boys had crushes on, and I and uh, everyone was going to high school that year. And we moved out to an acreage, so I went to a country school. So all of those people had lived, you know, around each other, grew up together, and everything like that. And like the person that was the main bully for me actually didn't really grow up there either, but she went through a lot of things in her life and her childhood. Um, so I think she like really just reflected it on everyone else. And I always felt like I was almost attracted to help people for some reason. If I seen someone Mm -hmm. in pain, I have a lot of empathy and I, I almost like was drawn towards them and that almost made it worse. So it's like that bullied me the most was someone who I actually like felt really bad for and wanted to help and stuff. So yeah, yeah, definitely moving to definitely going to an out of town school 
and grade eight was high school then actually not grade nine for this uh, specific school. So it just yeah. moving definitely was a lot of it. Yeah. And that's kind of like a, a fascinating self-reflection really um, just, just to look back and recognize this, this is also a damaged person. And, and my, my guess would be um, you were a target in a way for this other individual to basically try to make inroads into, into all, all the locals as well. And you happen to be the one and, and kids are mean. You know, yeah. whenever they feel oh. insecure, they, oh. they take it out on, on, yeah. <laughs> on somebody else and say, you're the reason I feel insecure as opposed to looking inside because, you know, we're not really kind of taught how to do that. And yeah. so, and you mentioned kind of getting into, into self-harm. What I'm curious about, because a lot of people might not even understand, they would hear that somebody is doing this and they go, this doesn't make sense. Why would somebody do that? And as, when you look back and kind of reflect on that, that behavior, um, and, and maybe if, if you feel com- comfortable with um, sharing, kind of like, what was the first time that, that, that you did this and kind of what, what runs through your mind? Well, to be honest, I had a friend who I looked up to and thought was just so cool and she was doing it and she was so sad and depressed as well. And I felt the same too. And I almost like, I don't want to blame her because I'm my own person, but it almost just seemed like I was influenced. And Mm -hmm. then I felt so much like anger and hate for myself inside that I just almost started doing it to show off. And then it just almost got like addicting, you know what I mean? Like I'd get mad and just, Oh, I, I hate myself and then just cut, cut, cut or whatever. It just became, a thing like I, I know it's hard to explain and nobody really understands but I just felt like I was punishing myself yeah well, it's, it's really interesting because I think when we struggle with huge um like negative feelings towards ourselves, um, those feelings are uncomfortable so we want to sometimes suppress them and we need something to maybe even overwhelm them or take them away and when you when you think about something like cutting yourself it's it brings you into the very present moment you know oh, yeah um, like I- for someone to smash anything or like, you know, punch holes in walls and stuff. So for me, the outlet was just cutting myself and it just kept getting like worse and worse. And like the more depressed I felt, the, you know, more cuts there would be or the deeper they would be. And then like with the bullying and stuff too, part of me felt like, um, I just felt so defeated and I was like, I almost just wanted to appear crazy you know what i mean like it was making me crazy so it's like oh look at crazy mm-hmm. girl with all the cuts all over her arms you know like maybe they'd yeah, leave yeah. Me alone maybe they'd leave me alone if i you know showed that i was crazy too you know yeah that that's an interesting thought um and did this go on like all all through high school like all the way to graduation or was there a, um a point where eventually this this kind of came to a stop um, it pretty much came to a stop when I almost killed myself and lost my arm. <laughs> so that pretty much, uh, made me think twice about it for sure. So. Right. Right. And, and, um, that, <laughs> that's definitely something to explore, but, um, I guess I'm also just curious, like, did your fam was your family aware that this was taking place? And if so, how did they, how did they try to deal with it? They or were, anyone at the school? They weren't aware actually at all. They how do you. I guess you just wear long sleeves all the time or how do you, how do you hide that? Yeah. Wear long sleeve shirts. Yeah. So there's, there's like an awareness that I'm doing something that, that is like self-destructive that, you know, I, that I don't necessarily want certain people to see that I'm doing this. Yeah. Yet on the flip side, it's like, but there's other people that I want to see that I'm doing this because I want to create a certain impression with, with them. Exactly. Long sleeve shirt at home, short sleeve shirt at school. (laughs) Right. And, 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 And none of the teachers like picked up on this. Um, if I'm being honest with you, the teachers at that school really didn't seem to care. Like even, even a lot of the bullying happened right in front of the teachers and like nobody talked to me, nobody stuck up for me, nobody talked to my family, nothing was done. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's like incredibly isolating. Yeah. Um, that would be like, that's a tough experience. Um, so you mentioned that you, you cut yourself, um, ended up hospitalized and, and nearly died as a result. You know, what, what happened there? Um, well, at that actual, at that actual time, um, was just almost a goofy situation that wasn't planned. And it wasn't a time that I was actually trying to self-harm, but at 13, I ran away from home and I ran to my boyfriend at the time's house and I was staying there and, uh, he brought out a knife one afternoon just for no reason. And I just said, if you cut yourself, I'm cutting myself way worse. 
And he went and he knew how sharp the knife was. So he went and made a whole bunch of little nicks on his arm. And I'm like, oh, well, I said that I would if you did. So I have to kind of thing. So I went and just grabbed a filleting knife and I had it on my forearm. And in yep. my mind, I'm sitting there and in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to make a big scar on the top of my arm. So I flipped my arm over, thank God. And I just went. Yeah. And it just, my arm spread Ooh. down to the bone, like bleeding all over, like literally wide open. His poor little sister was just traumatized. I still to this day feel like terrible about the little sister. So I was just in shock. His parents come home. I'm rushed to the hospital. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. They literally just dumped me off. Like nobody's there. My family didn't come. I'm 13 years old alone at the hospital not knowing if i'm dying losing an arm you know what's going on wow. and then uh, due to the other cuts they're like oh this is suicide attempt so i ended up being in the hospital for i think it was over a week in the actual hospital part but then we're like nope you're going to the psych ward basement so 13 years old no family <laughs> no friends they lock me in the basement with crazy people yeah so, wow it like was <laughs> Your 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 parents didn't come looking for you, knock on the door, being like, "Hey, where's Crystal?" She's been- oh no, I guess you said you'd you'd ran away. They knew um, I was in the hospital because they were contacted, but they didn't come and see me. And and what was your what was your reason for running away? Um, honestly, at home, I just i I don't want to you know say anything bad about my parents, but I just I didn't feel like I ever belonged. Like to be okay. honest. My brother felt a lot the same way too. Like I'm someone that kind of wished, you know, we had a closer family and this and that. And like my, my family, like I said, they weren't really approachable. You couldn't really go to them with problems. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we weren't really close or anything like that. They were very strict. Um, So like, honestly, I just, I have a little bit of trouble listening to the rules and stuff. And I just didn't feel like I was belonging and going through bullying and all that and really have nobody to talk to and stuff like that. I just, I just felt like I didn't want to be there anymore. Like it was kind of selfish and not really thinking just how I felt at times. I think, I think a 13 year old brain is not fully, fully developed emotionally. And I think, I think you you navigated that question fairly graciously just in terms of, you know, and I think as adults, we look back and we look back at our parents and we recognize maybe they were doing the best they could with what they knew and what they had at the time. Um, and, and and we look back with compassion and recognize, hey, look, they're they're struggling people too, and and uh, maybe they didn't know how to deal with you either. They're like, mm, I don't know, we just well, try and and like them not coming to visit me. It's still something that really hurts me. And when people find that out, they're like, oh my god, like your parents left you and didn't even come and visit you and stuff like that. And it's like that is terrible. But like at the end of the day, part of me also understands. It's like your thirteen year old just completely goes off the rails. You have no idea why. Like they probably didn't know what to say to me. What's going on? You know, like, so I try and try and understand like other sides of the spectrum too. What, if they, what would you have liked someone to say to you in, in that moment? Like at, in the hospital type thing? Yeah. Or just- You're in the hospital. You've just gone through this thing. You didn't really actually intend for it to go this way. Yeah. It's went, it's went horribly wrong. You're, you're wondering like, what, what is going on? Am I going to die? Am I going to lose my arm? Like, what would you have liked someone to, to say to you in that moment? I wish somebody would have genuinely asked me like, why, like, like what is wrong? You know what I mean? Like nobody really cared to listen or ask like what was actually wrong, what could cause, you know, that kind of behavior or to feel that way. Like I wish somebody would have actually sat and listened to how I felt about everything. I think that is really just profound in itself. I wish someone would have sat and listened to how I felt. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of what's missing. Even we look, we look at, I mean, I work in the realm of behavioral psychology. I see nutrition as the cover story really, because we're, we're, you know, I work with people exploring their relationship with food and why they use food the way they do and helping them uncover that and make sense of it. But yeah. so much of it is just being heard. Like, yeah. you know, food, food is my friend in, in, in the case of a lot of people that I work with kind of thing. So, but then, uh, you know, you're, you're getting some sort of medical care. Um, was it, was it compassionate care or was it just like necessary care? If I could put it that way. Um, I think that it was pretty, I think it was pretty good. Honestly, yeah. I, I think they were good at the time. And like, um, you know, when I ended up moving into foster care and group homes and stuff like that, there, there were some that, you know, I didn't get along with very well, but then there was others that I had like 
long lasting relationships with that you knew they really cared about their job. And like, still to this day, I appreciate them and you know how they helped me at that age. Mm-hmm. And what were you thinking when, when they said we're, we're sending you to the psych ward? I mean, there's probably some ideas around that. Like, I'm not crazy. Why are they sending me here and, and whatnot? And then they would, you know, I just imagine them being like, uh, that, that's just denial or something like that. You know, well, how, how do- the crazy part of it too, is like at the hospital, there's like the basement psych ward. So that's the crazy of craziest. And then there's the upstairs where you can live a semi-normal life in the psych ward. So they put me in the basement. Like that was in a locked room, like almost short of in a bed with straps. Yeah. Straps and everything. So like to be that age and thrown down there and like, I'm sitting here just kind of like, there's not one person on earth right now that can defend me or come and help me at all. Like I'm just completely stuck here, you know, like, you know, it was very scary. (laughs) No kidding. Um, and I don't know if that would, in one sense, like, did, did you ever have any suicidal tendencies or, or that was, and that was just like a total misunderstanding on, on their part? Well, I did. I did. Yeah. Just not at that time. Like I, I, Fair enough. Yeah. I had took pills before and like, I, I was kind of a chicken, but if someone came down to me and said like, Crystal, you could press this red button and be dead and not suffer and just not live anymore. At that time, I probably would have pushed it. I would have just been like, I just don't even want to live like I just felt like everything was so painful and I just always felt like so hurt and just everything felt so hard like it's so it's so weird at such a young age to feel that way but I did I just I felt like just everything was just hard yeah and these are these are formative years when all of this stuff is happening like you know I think at that stage in time there's so much emotional development taking place as you're also just transitioning from like childhood to teenage years and so on and, um, so how long did you spend in the, in the psych ward? I believe it was over a month. I was in the basement for a while. And all I thought in my mind was play the counselors. You're happy, happy, happy. Like every time they talk to you, you're just oh so happy, happy, happy. Just like get me out of the basement. So that's where like manipulating kind of came in because I was okay, yeah. not, not going to be honest with these people when they're having me locked in a basement. So I just was like, yeah, pretend to be happy finally got moved upstairs. Um, and then I made some friends up there or whatever, some pretty crazy stories of some people that, you know, were there or whatever, but things got better at that point. And then finally I was put into a group home with lots of teenagers. Okay. And so that, that created a bit of a, a bit of a shift for you. Um, I guess I'm curious in the time that you were in the basement, I'm picturing like Arkham Asylum from like, you know, Batman or something like just, uh, th- because it's like the classic sort of setting for a horror movie is like the basement of a psych ward where there's all these crazy people and then the nurses yeah. and whatever and the orderlies like don't care either. And there's the person like screaming to be let out and they're like, yeah, I know you're crazy and, and being totally trapped and misunderstood. And you know, you had some of those feelings like, um, but you were, you were already, fi- you were already savvy enough, I guess, street smart enough to figure out that like, I got, I got to play this in order to get myself out of this situation oh, for- here. For- yeah. And then I had like, I had an aunt and, a, and an uncle come and visit and then my brother and my brother brought me every ounce of clothing I had. So okay. I'm smart enough to take a hint when my parents packed everything I had in the suitcase that I am completely alone and don't have anyone to save me out of here or help me or in any way. So the- so that, that wasn't their way of saying, we want to support you. It was your, their way of saying, you're done. Yes. Like, don't come back. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Fascinating. And how, how did your brother, uh, was your brother older than you? Yes, he was. Okay. And how old was he at the time? Um, he, so if I was 13, 17. Okay. And, and how was he like, I'm bringing you the suitcase of all your clothes. Is he like apologetic? Uh... I think he was a little bit confused and like him and I were always really close, but to be honest, like what had just happened, I, I was very embarrassed. Um, uh, right, very, right. I felt very sheepish about everything, you know, like it's really hard to explain to someone. So I'm not sure, you know, how things, I know he always was kind of on my side and whatnot. And like, to be honest, after that, him and, 
mine and his relationship even grew more. Like he'd come pick me up from the group home and we ended up like a lot of our teenage years, he came and hung out with me and my friends and stuff all the time and stuff. So like we still kept Mm. connection and like he grew up how I grew up. So like we kind of felt a lot the same emotionally about how things. So we kind of had that in common. um, And that, that kept us connected for sure. Amazing. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you had, <clears throat> pardon me, that you had even, even that sort of family connection there. And so moving, moving into foster care, um, that, that situation is a tricky one as well, because you, you're not exactly sure what you're going to get landed with, who you're going to get landed with. Yeah. How, how, how do they, how do they determine like where to, where to put you? Well, I went into a general group home. So it was like, uh, just a house with a bunch of bedrooms and a bunch of girls. Um, and that was very intimidating itself too, because like I had, I was living with some gang members and, you know, some mm. uh, girls with eating disorders and uh, all these issues or whatever. Um, so that, that was tough itself too, because you get bullied there too, right? Like I had girls yeah. grab clothes and bleach it all. And, you know, like some girls would, were constantly fighting with the staff. And so like the life that I lived in that house was also such a gong show honestly. <laughs> right. No kidding. Yeah. Like just, just, just chaotic. And, and, you know, and, and I think it's all emotional issues because you have just a bunch of misfits who like they're misfit. They don't, they don't oh, seem to fit in anywhere. And so they're just lashing out and acting out and trying to find some sense of belonging. Hence like joining gangs, yeah. creating alliances, bullying, all that kind of stuff. Um, what, uh, but you, you left the group home eventually and end up in a foster home. Is that right? Yeah. It was like, uh, when I was, was it about 16 years old? So I lived in group homes for years. Um, and like I said, I felt like I didn't belong there either. It just, it always felt like I just didn't belong where I was, but I ended up in, I thought, thought the foster home was going to be a great idea to be honest, because it was just a couple and then they had a bedroom and Mm -hmm. I was always a trust. Like I may have gone through many problems, but I was always trustworthy. Like I would have never stole from someone or, you know, anything like that. Like my biggest problem was, you know, even in the group homes was run, just running away all the time. So when I found out I was going to foster care, I was like, Oh wow, I'm going to, you know, there's going to be, you know, like a male and female or whatever, and just me. So I'm going to be by myself, have my own room. This will be great. So they were pretty nice. It was, you know, pretty awkward going into someone else's home, but they made these rules that when I didn't have school, I had to be gone from, the second that they were gone in the morning. So like they're gone at 7.30 a.m. And I couldn't come home till 5.30 p.m. So I'm like, if I don't have a day of school, I have to get on the bus and leave the house from 7.30 in the morning until, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock at night. I'm like, how's that ever going to work? Number one, these people don't trust me. Number two, I don't have friends or family that I can just go all day and hang out at their house when I don't have school. So again, I was like, screw this. And I ran away again. I'm like, I'm not staying at a place like this that nobody trusts me and that I can't just chill out at home, you know, on a day off of school or summer holidays and stuff like that. It just didn't seem like it would ever work out. So when, when you go to run away, like where, where do you run to? You could, I'm, I'm going to run away, but how do you decide where you're going to go? just friends houses. I I had some friends that, you know, were pretty good friends and their parents would let me stay and stuff. Usually actually this, the, the, the best part of the story, um, that, that happened was when I ran away from this foster home, I actually ran away to my old group home worker. She was the boss of the group. Like she was the, the manager of the group home. I ran away to her house and she ended up fighting to have me come and live with her. Okay. So I ended up moving in with her and that's when my entire life changed. I had, she trusted me. I got along with her and her husband. She took me in, she made her house acceptable for social services. So I was able to stay there. So like Amazing. this wonderful woman that I met through the group home who seen through all the, you know, tough exterior and all the things that I've been through. She's someone who actually listened because years later she was willing to take me in her home. So that was amazing. amazing. I actually just, I ran into her at a riders game actually this summer and just my heart just exploded. I think, I think I maybe saw a photo of you with her. Was she wearing like a green, green, I guess you would be wearing green if it's riders. Yeah. 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 That was her. Yeah. Yeah. And had you from the, like, had you seen her or it had been a number of years since you'd seen her? 
Yeah, she came up to my house a few years ago. Um, I just, I can't get her out of my mind. Like, she just did so much for me. And, like, it's just something you never forget, right? So, like, I contacted mm-hmm. her a few years ago and she came and had supper. But I hadn't seen her for a really long time. Yeah. But, like, some someone like that is a very, very special person. Yeah. So, so she took you in. And, and how many, how, how long did you live with her? Um, I think I lived with her for, like, a year. and it was hard because I was a teenager with friends and stuff and like partying and that kind of stuff. And then she, her husband had a business upstairs looking after elderly people. So it almost got to a point where it was hard having like the teenager downstairs and you know what I mean? It, it, it was working, but it wasn't working. So she actually talked to social services and they bent the rules for me and allowed me to move into my own apartment at 16 when you weren't supposed to be able to do that. And be honest, living on my own, like I said, how I don't really like to listen to rules and stuff. Living on my own was the just the best I ever did. Like when I was by myself, I was way more responsible. Like I wasn't how everyone thought I was. You know, I paid my rent. I worked multiple part-time jobs and such or whatever. So I had my own little tiny apartment at 16 and worked and made ends meet. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was, you know... And I think what this speaks to is is the power of like someone coming into your life and and actually believing in you and caring for you and giving you that thing that was missing because there was a good person in there, but it's really hard for people to see it through all it of is. the sort of overt behavior that that people only see that and they don't they don't look under the surface and go, what's really happening here? Why oh. is this why is this taking place? Yeah, for sure. I remember years later, um, I ran into some guy at the bar that I knew and he's telling everyone how, oh, Crystal's so crazy, this and that. It's like, that. That that's the thing, like, you know, teenagers don't think of, like, when you cut your arms and stuff, you know, people would tell me, oh, when you're older, you're going to regret having those scars. And you think like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't care kind of thing. And it's like, man, it really does matter when you're older and you have these scars and you have to explain to your children and you know, when you, when you behave that way, it's almost never forgotten, no matter yeah, how yeah. how good you're doing in life later. It's like always remembered the bad well, times. Doing. I mean, in a sense, like Saskatchewan is kind of like a big, small town <laughs> I yeah. mean, because it, um, yeah, it was, I don't know if there's like a million people in the province of Saskatchewan altogether, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like it's um, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it it sticks in people's minds because it probably evoked such an emotional response when they would look at that and look at that kind of behavior. Um, so along the way, like you're living with your own, your, your own apartment and um, were you in a relationship at the time or did you end up in a relationship? I did. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I was curious whatever, whatever happened to the, the, um, the boyfriend that you, you'd been with when you cut yourself and ended up in the hospital. Is he like never on the scene again kind of thing? Pretty much. He pretty much didn't tell anyone the actual story of him cutting his self. So he just allowed me to be thrown under the bus for the whole thing. And of course, everyone believed him because I'm the one half dead in the hospital. Right. So like, right, right, right. Yeah. everyone believed him. Um, and then he actually came to visit me in the psych ward. His parents must have let him. But then I heard he cheated on me with one of the girls that was my friends there. So I <laughs> never really... <laughs> heard from him or talk to him again kind of thing oh terrible book and stuff like that or whatever but yeah like like you know who he is nowadays like there's still a digital connection nowadays yeah kind of we don't talk or anything oh sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean i I think facebook when it was like starting out when we probably were like early adopters of facebook was like people just checking out what (laughs) their old high school classmates were doing with their lives basically just snooping around and being nosy um yeah so yeah, you, you have this apartment and you're living kind of like a, a responsible teenager. Were you going to school at the time or just, just working? Um, I think, I think I did try school, but I kind of just dropped out and I didn't yeah. really have question about how important school school was. Like that's probably one of my biggest regrets to be honest was just not taking school seriously because now, now I'm 40 years old with a grade nine. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're, 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 you still made something of yourself. So, um, but, and you mentioned that you ended up uh, a teen mom. Um, did this, ha- how old were you when this happened? I got pregnant at 17. Okay. Yeah. I was with, um, when I lived with, uh, Lori, the group homeworker, um, I was with him at that time and then okay. I ended up getting pregnant at 17 and that, that's when I really was like, 
I am not going to be a bad mom. Like I'm going to have this child and I really need to clean up my act here. Okay. Yeah. And, and the, the guy that you're with, um, was he older? Had, uh, how did he respond to that? Um, he was not happy about the pregnancy and, um, but I, he didn't really have a choice. So we ended up staying together for a while, but he wasn't, you know, overly into being a dad too much, but he tried to make it work and we were just oil and water big time. Didn't work out. Fair fair enough. Yeah. And and, and often that's, that's the case. It's just a tough situation all around. So like in my, Um, it was like, we're getting married and we're going to have a kid and you know, this is going to be my forever type thing, but like you can't, people want to do that, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. So now, now you're a single mom, um, trying, trying to make this work with, with a kid. How, how did you make it work? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I just always seem to be able to survive. So we were together for a while and I had a roommate, so I was able to look after my daughter. And then when him and I broke up for some reason, when something like really bad happens to me, I tend to thrive. I I tend to just have it in me to do more. So I ended up going to college for policing actually is what my aspiration was. And then I ended up going to be a nail technician. So I was a single mom with my daughter in daycare, going to school full time. I worked at Walmart part time and then I ended up doing nails on the side. So it was just like side hustling all over the place to, to, the, these difficult experiences you went through um, also uncovered that you're, you're actually very resourceful, resilient. Um, and when your back's against the wall, you can, you can make it happen. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. You went from this, this, you know, young, young teen who just ran away from all her problems to, no, I'm going to face these up and uh, I'm going to do something with it. Yes. And, and I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. A hundred percent. And like, to be honest, not having a high school education, like I wasn't always a book smart type person. So like, although I ended up not really doing anything with the college that I took, I was so proud of myself that I went to school, I had 100% attendance, I was the only girl that graduated and all of my marks were high 80s and 90s. So like, amazing. I was like, I'm not stupid, you know, like I can put my mind to things. And like, I passed all these courses that others didn't. And I was one of the top marks of the class and everything. So like going to college was a huge turning point for me too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so where do you go from here? I mean, you're, you're a single mom. Uh, Did you end up getting into another relationship? Um, And and like, because I'm like, how do you navigate that? It's gotta be, it's gotta be awkward if you meet somebody and they're like, Hey, I I, I like you. And then you're like, well, I got a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I met my husband on the internet and, um, yes, he had (laughs) cupid.com. Okay. There you go. So he had a daughter as well. So we both had daughters, um, and coming out of bad relationships. Um, so we ended up meeting, at the swimming pool with our kids. I had talked to him online, <laughs> talked to him online a lot. Um, and he had had three girlfriends ever in his life and they all cheated on him. So he was, um, oh, no. have a very good outlook of women. So like the day I met him, we had a blast with the kids and I went home and he said, you're someone to take home to my mom. And I'm like, yeah, player shit. Like, you know, right, 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 right. I'm like, you're such a player or whatever. And he's like, no, I'm dead serious. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I wasn't overly interested because he was, he was not a player because he was very honest about everything, but he was definitely just dating around with women and stuff like that. And I wasn't really into that. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of like, no, I'm that that's, we're great friends and our daughters love each other, but like, I'm just not into you know the kind of lifestyle you're living right now. And so right. we for a while I was like I don't really you know need to talk to you if we're not doing anything right and then right, right, yeah. we ended up talking here and there and I was kind of dating and you know meeting guys and this and that and he he finally was just like I'm gonna lose this girl if I don't you know decide right now like I can't get her out of my head it was a year like we didn't talk and he still couldn't stop thinking about me so he just called me one day I can't stop thinking about you. And then, yeah, we just ended up giving dating a go and that was 17 years ago. So <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. you, you were, uh, you were 23 at the time then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. 
Now, one thing, one part of your story that we haven't really touched on is is the fact that you you also have these autoimmune conditions that you you live with as well. Yes. And at that at that age, were you were you aware uh, of these conditions, or were you? And and if so, did you have any idea how to handle them or treat them? Well, since I was nine, um, I had a bleeding bowel. So my family knew that obviously there was some sort of issue. They took me to a doctor and got um, a diagnosis that was just completely out to lunch and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, under that too, because I'm like, if I had so much pain and, you know, your, ble- your child is bleeding all the time, you'd think yeah. you'd keep going back to figure it out. But it got to a point where like nobody took me back. And then when I lived in group homes, I don't recall if I ever like talked to them about it or just kept it inside. Like to me, it was normal. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't seem to happen to everybody else. But to me, like all of this was normal. So I just was living with it um, for years and years. I'd go to doctors and I'd be like, you know, I bleeding out the bowel all the time, sometimes hundreds of times a day. And they just slough it off, slough it off and not take me seriously at all. And then finally, I believe about seven or eight years ago, I had a flare up so bad that there was just no way that I couldn't not go to the doctor. It was horrendous. And finally, I got the ball rolling and found out that it was ulcerative colitis. Mm-hmm. And so for those two who might not know, what what exactly is ulcerative colitis? And you know- uh, gastrointestinal disease um it is based on it is a terrible disease it's it is completely unpredictable it it can be something you ate it can be stress it can be childhood trauma like all of the above everything you know gets gets this disease going so like i'll always wonder you know kind of where it came from you can't really give it to yourself you know like it's not something self-induced you either get it or you don't it can be hereditary which we don't know anyone in the family that has it so that doesn't seem to be the case for me but yeah yeah, it's a it's a hidden terrible disease that not a lot of people know much about to be honest yeah and so i mean to me i I just break the name down uh you know it's like ulcers in your colon causing inflammation essentially so it would be like the lining like the mucus lining of your colon breaks down and then the actual muscle gets damaged and then it's like getting canker sores in your colon kind of thing. Yeah. If yeah. I could put, well, ulcers, but yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then of course they, they bleed and then um, does that create uh, like scarring and, and permanent damage? Do you know in the colon? I'm not sure to be honest. I don't think so. Cause I, I, I had one colonoscopy a while back and they said that the ulcers were gone, but I still bleed. So um, to be honest, the disease doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And a lot of my symptoms, I feel like the doctors still don't understand either because they'll, they'll see it through um, a colonoscopy and it looks good, but yet I'm still having all the symptoms. Right, right, right. That, that doesn't seem to make very much sense, but. Yeah. And, and this is one of those things that like, you know, when you have a physical injury, that's it's obvious you can kind of point to it and this is something that you can't really explain to people necessarily and i wonder if you know um maybe you're gonna go for a meal or something you're like well i can't eat that or i can't eat that and like oh you're such a picky eater or a you know, drama queen or something like that you know yep, exactly and especially when you're into fitness it just makes it a million times worse because everybody thinks it's only the macro counting or the fitness goal as to why you're not and it's like well no you don't understand and I've had people like well can't you just have it this one time and it's like I have had it the one time for example Thanksgiving like I had been so good for months and you know really on my nutrition and at Thanksgiving I was like I want cookies cake and ice cream so I had Mm -hmm. cookies cake and ice cream and I believe Thanksgiving was what October 11th I'm suffering from then so how worth it was that cookies, cake, and ice cream when a month and a half later, I'm still suffering from that one evening of having some junk with my family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and like, does your family eat what I guess we call like normal normal food um, yeah, or they, they modify like what they eat in, in kind of to support you or how, how does that work? No, they eat what they want. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, meals usually like every every supper. I'm always accommodating everyone else, so I end up cooking like three meals half the time. So. Right, right. <clears throat> and uh, what's sort of on your foods I can eat list? Um. Well, I literally eat about maybe like ten to twenty things, if that, and I still have pain. But like, I eat a lot of uh, rice, pineapple, ground turkey, 
um, chicken thighs, chicken breasts, steak, sweet potatoes, white potatoes. Um, and then I'll have like collagen fruit shakes with mango, pineapple, peaches. Mm-hmm. And chocolate and some almond butter. And that's like literally almost it. <laughs> and have you figured out if there's any particular like spot on like this is definitely a trigger food or a problem? Lots of vegetables. Yeah. Like carrots. I love uh, air fried carrots are so good. And um, I can't have them for sure. I wonder, yeah, I was kind of curious about that as I was listening to the food list. I, I was figuring that, like fiber is probably an issue actually because fiber can irritate the the lining of the colon actually and maybe trigger a kind of an immune immune response potentially. And so, and like different different fruits and vegetables have different fibers. Um, yeah, I wonder, I'm curious. Like, do, do people ever like just think you have, have like disordered eating or something like that? Like, oh yeah, all the time, all the time, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, and and this is why this is why you you, you do this because you you, you want to look look a certain way or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, you know, in, in all of the things you've sort of wrestled with, is disordered eating something you've struggled with as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How how did that show up for you? I mean, disordered eating is like a big sort of broad kind of umbrella term. Yeah. Um. Well, back in the past, back when I did live at home with my parents, my uh, best friend lived across the street, and my family didn't really buy junk food and their family did. So I found myself constantly sneaking and eating ice cream in her freezer. Cause they would order all the best ice cream. <laughs> so like looking back at the time, I didn't think anything of it, but looking back now it was definite binge eating for sure. And so I've, mm-hmm. str- I've struggled with a lot of um, binge eating in my life. And I'm, I'm doing so much better now. Like that is something I've had to really work on, especially with colitis flares, flare ups and stuff like that. Like you can't be, you know, binge eating and putting so much stress on your digestion and stuff. So like, it's been a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure for me. And, uh, the food, the food has definitely been a big issue in so many ways. Like sometimes it's even little things like I've ate a carrot and then panicked about it because it's like, Oh my God, am I going to cause a flare up right now? Like even healthy food. So it's just, it's been, the disease is so unpredictable that like one day I could say I could eat an arrow bar right now. I'll be fine. But then if I eat it in a month, I'm not fine. So it's like, sometimes it's okay. And sometimes it's not. So it's hard to like determine whether is this okay or is this not? So it's caused like a lot of mental food problems for me, for sure. Yeah. Because so scared to like set off, the colitis right yeah the- yeah absolutely last forever too like it's kind of like living with a living with a life sentence it is and and, and trying to navigate that and to try to explain that to people who uh, you know someone who's never experienced that it's really hard to conceptualize what that would be like living with you know is this food gonna make me bleed from my bowels or not yeah there, i feel like there's a monster in my body that i cannot control honestly and it, it's yeah. um you know having a disease that you absolutely cannot control is so frustrating it is, yeah. Does does that ever lead to wanting to try to find control in other areas of your life? Um, yeah, sometimes I'm I'm kind of a control freak with everything, but I think that's where almost fitness kind of came in and was good for me because it's a decision that I made. It is something that I can control what I'm doing, you know. So I feel like a lot of my dedication and stuff is because I'm able to control and make that decision myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you've got three kids now. What age is your kids? I guess would one of them would be 20, 22 or so 22, yep. 23, 22. And then I have my 15 year old daughter lives with me and my 12 year old daughters. And, uh, so my 12 year old and my 15 year old are with my husband. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and, uh, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of used to, to you and everything you've been through and whatnot. Do you, are you able to, and do you have conversations with them? Like they're aware that you were a teen mom, you're aware that you went through some of these challenges and whatnot. And, and if so, what kind of conversations do you, do you have with them? Cause you know, I guess at a certain point you're like, well, I'm going to have this conversation because I find it at some point in time. Um, I chose to be honest, uh, with my children. I feel like it almost, um, backfired with my 22 year old daughter. And then my husband has a daughter who's almost 22 as well. My stepdaughter that I raised, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like me sharing some of those things with them almost influenced them. If that makes sense. Kind of like how I said with, with the friend and like so gl- I, glamorizing it a little bit or something. Yeah. Or like them thinking like, Oh, my mom did it. 
kind of things. So like I should try it or whatever. And I, I was really afraid of that and being honest with my kids about it. But I also just didn't really want to hide things from them either. So yeah, yeah like I've never talked about um, the self-harm and I've never talked about, um, you know, almost losing my life or my arm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like that. I, I wanted to go on a podcast or I wanted to write a story or I wanted to share it kind and of both. in a, a bigger way than just saying, oh, I did this before. You know what I mean? So maybe, maybe there's maybe there's a book in there, Relentless, the Crystal Adams story. Yes. You know? <clears throat> and so now, um, you know, you're, you're very big into fitness and I think more recently dab- uh, have stepped into to modeling. Is that something just happened in the last couple of years or is it something you were kind of doing for a while? And, and how do you find your way into that? Well, what's funny about the modeling is I was a child model and I got okay. called quite a few jobs. I was very cute, but I was very camera shy. Um, so that didn't work out very well for me. I was constantly looking up and just, I was so shy. I just couldn't look into a camera. So Mm. last July, so like just over a year ago, I had a friend who did a boudoir photo shoot and I had wanted a photo shoot for years, but I was always kind of waiting for the body that I wanted. And this girl in Moose Jaw had a deal, a really good deal. I just couldn't pass up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go. So I went and it was amazing. And then, so I did another one with her the next month. And then anytime anyone did model calls, she would give them my name. So I just kind of kept getting asked and I just felt like, oh, I just really want to get out there and I want to not be shy anymore. And I don't want to miss out on an opportunity. So I just kind of kept saying yes. And it just kind of kept rolling from there. So. Yeah. Which is, which is really interesting. And, um, it's, it, it's, it's cool. That you're doing this at, at 39 at 40, which oftentimes we would look at that and say, well, you know, you're you're too old for that essentially and you're 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 sort of saying well no no i'm not actually (laughs) um yeah so but i have to think like that that by in itself might come with some interesting um unexpected side effects if you will um you know because you're you're kind of putting yourself out there in 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 a different way than you might have previously um what, what, what like what does your husband think about that you know is he is he cool supportive on board with it my husband is so supportive. It's ridiculous. He would probably put um, more revealing photos than I would. He is very, very proud of me. He has watched me struggle with self-confidence and hating my body and, um, you know, not knowing my worth and stuff that I honestly think that at 40 years old, he is so proud of where I'm at right now. Mindset, body, physique, everything. I just think he's so proud that he doesn't mind at all, but I do get lots of judgment. Trust me, <laughs> lots. Yeah, you probably would because you're you're putting in, in a certain context. You're putting yourself out there to be judged, um, and you know social media allows people to hide behind a profile with some degree of anonymity as well. And yeah. um, I would, I don't, I don't put myself out there in such way. I don't do modeling, um, and I don't think men probably struggle with this problem nearly as much. But I, you know, I imagine you probably get some like very off color, very uh, off putting sometimes messages as well, just from like random people on the internet. I do. But I think that a lot of people follow my story and they kind of get for me that I don't really put up with anything. So like, I don't get it as much as you think, but I do, I do get some. Well, I I would take that as a positive actually. Um, I, I just had another, another client who, uh, I think someone had reached out to her and it was like saying, I'll be your sugar daddy kind of thing. She's like, uh, I'm married with three kids. Like, yeah. no kidding. where is this coming from? You know, this, this sort of stuff. And so um, it's, it's kind of interesting. And and what do your kids think about this? Um, I care very highly about what my, my kids think about things. So like I have had chats with them. Um, I have talked to my 15 year old as she goes to high school and her little friends follow me and stuff. And I've asked her, like, are you bothered by any of the photos? Or if there's a questionable one, I'll ask her, like, you know, would you be upset if I posted this? She is about 120% supportive. Awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, So you're setting an example in a sense for your kids in a way that maybe you didn't have in, in your life. So um, as, as we kind of bring this to, to a close here, you, you've got quite the story. It's certainly not done yet. Um, a couple of loose ends here. Do you, do you have any communication with your parents now? Like any, any sort of relationship there? 
I do, but um, the past years, uh, the the boudoir photos and stuff like that has definitely caused a wedge in judgment, and that's something that's very hurtful for me. <laughs> so yep. that's definitely caused some issues. But yeah, we we talk. Um, I talk to my mom the most. Um, mm-hmm. I try to keep it good. <laughs> yeah, and have they, have they ever expressed like? I mean, maybe they've felt it, but I mean, have they ever expressed like some regret over kind of how things played out? I mean, not they can change anything, but I think some we often look back and go, hmm, I wish that would have played out differently. Um, little glimpses, but not as much as you would think. Um, I think I was going to mention this too, back when I was talking about running away. Um, my parents, like my dad is convinced I ran away because he said I couldn't date. And I dated behind his back since elementary school. So like, that was not a reason why I ran away. So like in his head, that's, that's all he thinks. She ran mm. away, didn't want to listen to rules and she, she wanted to date. And I said, no dating. So like, that's what stuck in his head. He, mm-hmm. absolutely, I've tried to open up and explain, you know, some things to them about, you know, why and how I felt. But I also don't really want to sit back in the past and be like, well, I felt like you did this, you did that, you made me feel this. Sure. I don't I don't want to blame because I also have kids too. And like, I've had my kids, you know, blame me for stuff and you can't always win as a parent. So like, I didn't really want to like, feel like I'm putting them down now kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, we, we look back as adults through like a different lens than we would have understood as, as kids. So, um, well, Chris, you've got quite a story, a story worth being told. Maybe you will write a book and, uh, maybe you'll be featured in a few more podcasts and whatnot. Sure. But it's, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today and just exploring your story. We ran a little bit longer than I normally do with episodes, but I think you've got a really, a really great story worth telling. So the thing I always like to ask my guests before we, before we wrap up is if you could just offer like one nugget of advice, one nugget of wisdom kind of from your story that you, you wish people would take from if they've listened to this conversation today, what would that be? Honestly, to believe in yourself and never give up. Like you can literally do and have anything you want if you put hard work into it and believing in yourself is so important. I love that. Crystal, thanks so much for, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been truly a pleasure and look forward to see what comes next for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward.